Well, thank you, Colton. Glad you guys are here. Here it's going to get cold next week. Have y'all heard that? Good Florida weather, huh? All right. First Corinthians chapter 6 is where we are. We're going to finish uh, at least chapter 6 today, so I want you to find your place in your copy of God's Word in chapter number 6 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 12, so you follow along as I read this text. Beginning in verse 12, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised up the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then... Take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but immorality or the immoral man sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Well, have you ever read a passage in the Bible and after reading it you just scratch your head and say, What in the world is this saying? You know, I do that with most passages, whether you know it or not. That's always the starting point for me on Monday morning. I have a dumb look on my face and I think, there is no way that I'll ever get to the bottom of what it is that the Apostle Paul is saying. We start with two questions. Number one, what did he mean for his original hearers to understand? And from that, what is it that you and I can glean and put into practice and, and follow the Lord more closely because of it? Well, this is indeed one of those truly complicated and confusing passages that Paul pens. But at the same time, there is not a passage that gets closer to the subject that we have had at hand for the past several weeks, and that is this idea of cultural Christianity. Because this passage shows just to what degree they were living according to pop culture rather than to biblical truth. And that's always a temptation for every generation and for all people in all places is to live more by what the world puts in us than what the Word of God has to say. We've talked about this over and over. We all live off of some script and we all have some source of authority in our life that controls and determines our behavior and our beliefs. And it really is enlightening. One of the things that being a missionary has done for me has helped me see over the time that Heather and I served in Brazil just how much of my belief system is informed by culture rather than by Christ and by His Word. And here Paul runs head on into what those guys were living by and it certainly wasn't the Word of God. So I want to speak to you today on this subject of conquering cultural Christianity. It's really the second swing we have taken at it from chapter number 6, or really the third swing that we've taken at it. So what does this passage tell us about conquering cultural Christianity? That is, being a biblical believer rather than simply a cultural believer. So I think Paul tells us two things that I want to form all of our thoughts around today. And the first one is this. If you and I are going to conquer cultural Christianity, because here's the reality. If we don't conquer cultural Christianity in our lives, cultural Christianity will ultimately conquer us. We will not be victorious, but we will be defeated. And your test will not stand the test and the trials of life 
if it's not biblical. The only sure foundation we have is thus saith the Lord. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus said, whosoever hears these words of mine and acts on them will be likened to a wise man who built his house on the solid rock. And the rains came down, the winds blow in, and the floods come up, but his house stood because it was founded on the rock. And then he talks about those whose house was founded on the sand. We can equate that to everything other than biblical truth, mainly to the things that we have in our belief system from culture that will not stand the test of time, nor the test of trials and and the winds and the rains and the floods. So, if we are going to conquer cultural Christianity, the first thing this passage teaches us is that we must avoid the world's subtle tricks. Subtle tricks. Now, when you read this passage of Scripture, there's some things that you recognize. Number one, it is an extremely confusing passage. And number two, you have to recognize that the Corinthians probably had a piece of information to help them understand it that you and I are 2,000 years removed from. And you know, anytime we're reading an epistle, it's kind of like listening to one end of a phone conversation. You kind of have to figure what the other person is saying by the responses that this person is given. So we are listening to the end of the Apostle Paul, not knowing the end of the Corinthians. Now, there's a lot we do know about their end because Paul was responding in this letter to a letter that had been sent him, right? He tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's also responding to what he got by word of mouth from the delegation that brought the letters. He says, because I have been told by those of Chloe's household in chapter 1. So he's getting his information from several sources. But he's also getting his information from what he knows of culture in Corinth and what those believers had kind of caved in under. So what are those pieces of information that they had that you and I don't have, that if we had them, we would better understand this passage? That's a great question. And here they are. I want to point out some things for you that they understood that is hard for you and I with just a precursory reading to pick up on in this passage. Now, there are several... Matter of fact, I think there are four slogans. They were popular slogans that the Corinthians placed their credence in, they believed, and that Paul identifies those slogans and he uses their own slogans against them. There are four slogans in this passage that were very cultural that everybody in Corinth would have been familiar with. And here's what he does. Uh, Paul first gives them the slogan. It's very formulaic. He gives them the slogan. Then he gives a corrective to the slogan. Then he gives reasons for the corrective or correction. And then he concludes with an imperative command. And you'll see all of this in this passage. And when you see that, this passage begins to come together and you understand what Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand. And hopefully we can apply it equally as effectively as they could. So here are, the, here are the slogans. But you know, but before I give you these slogans, uh, let me just give you some slogans that we have in our culture that everybody knows, and sometimes we live by them as if they were biblical truth. I, I tried to write as many of them down. I'd like to hear from you because I, I know that you have a whole lot more that you know off the top of your head. And in the heat of the moment, it was difficult for me to think of them. But here's a few of them. You finish this one. Here's a popular cultural saying that we all accept to some level. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You see that? Now that is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. And Paul gives them a slogan and they would have been able to finish it just like you did. Here's another, here's another slogan that I thought of that we sometimes think in the Bible somewhere, but it doesn't come from the Bible, it comes from culture. Cleanliness is next to Boy, y'all are so good. Gold stars for everybody in the house today. Uh, uh, Here's another one. Um, And boy, I I really hate this one in our woke 
society because it's a lie. And I see it on TV a lot of times where people are wanting to be overly positive with children and here's what they tell children. You can be whatever you want to be as long as you set your mind to it. That's a lie. Huh? We can't all be whatever we want to be. For example, there's no way I could be the starting forward for the New York Knicks, right? (laughs) Now, I wish I had his salary just for one week. I would retire after one week is what I would do. (laughs) But you see, that's, that's another popular slogan that we have in our culture today that Paul would correct. Here's one more and I'm done. An apple a day. I'm saying, you guys that have some pretty serious illnesses going on and health issues, all you got to do is eat an apple. Dang. I can drop Blue Cross Blue Shield just by stalking Granny Smith or whoever it is that's growing the apples, right? (laughs) So you get what I'm saying about about these slogans. Now let me identify the slogans for you in this passage. And I I, I printed a copy of the NIV text. Does anybody hold the NIV today? You have an NIV? All right. Well, you will see what I'm talking about because the NIV identifies them. And this is part of the work of of textual, textual scholars and textual critics today is to pull all this stuff out. So you don't know it, but I'm really taking you to a seminary class today. When y'all leave today, y'all going to feel like, man, I'm smart. (laughs) Here we go. Notice these sayings. And the NIV identifies them by putting them in quotation marks. It means that Paul and the the translators of the NIV are pretty certain that Paul is quoting somebody here. So you may want to underline these in your text or even just put them in in quotation marks in, in, in in your own Bible. The first quotation that comes from culture that Paul offers a corrective to is found in verse 12. And here it is. Uh, My New American Standard says, All things are lawful for me. Either underline that or put quotation marks before all and after me. And then the second slogan that Paul is dealing with that was popular, culturally accepted is also found in verse 12. All things are lawful for me again. So there's, there's two times he quotes that same one in verse number 12. So there are two of them right there. Now the third one is found in verse number 13. And here it is. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. So put your, put your quotation marks in front of food at the beginning of the sentence and at the end of the sentence after them. Now these are the ones that the NIV identifies. However, I think there's one more because of the formula. Remember the formula I gave you? He gives the slogan. He gives correctives to the slogan. He gives reasons for his collective. And then he ends the section with an imperative verb or command. Or command. Now check this out in... Uh, In verse number 18, after he gives an imperative, notice, this imperative goes backwards, right? So flee from immorality. Now here's the other popular cultural saying that I identify in this text. And here it is, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. That's what the Corinthians were saying. That's not what Paul is saying. So put that in parenthesis. Now here's what you've got to understand. Everything that the Bible reports, it doesn't support. Everything that the Bible reports, it doesn't support or proport. In other words, just because the Bible reports some things and there's something recorded in the Bible, doesn't mean that the Bible is saying, now this is what I want you to do. Are you following me? For example... The Bible in the Old Testament reports that David had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Now it's reporting that. But is the Bible saying that you should go and do likewise? Everybody understands that. So here when Paul gives us these slogans, he's reporting what it is that they are saying. He's not saying you believe it and you accept it. He's saying let me correct it and give you a biblical perspective on this this slogan. 
So we know that these are not Pauline for several reasons. Number one, and you may want to write this down. We know that they are not, they don't come from Paul because they are not eternally true. You see, for something to be biblical, it means it's true in all times, in all places. Right? This, these are not. As a matter of fact, uh, these are not even congruent with other biblical passages. And however we understand the Scripture, one thing we cannot do, we must never do, is make our understanding of one passage come in conflict with another passage. Because a truth system has no contradictions. So if we make it contradict, there's nothing wrong with the text. There's something wrong with us and our understanding of it. Maybe we don't have all the pieces of the information like we're looking at here. So we know that this is not Pauline because hear me. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would never proport something that's not eternally true. He never would. We also know this is not Pauline because these statements are what's known as an unqualified categorical statement. An unqualified categorical statement. Now, you understand that the Apostle Paul was one of the most educated and brilliant men in the ancient world. He was the up and rising scholarly star of Judaism. He was not just head and shoulders above everybody else. He was belt up ahead of everybody else. He was thoroughly trained in rhetoric and logic. And these statements have rhetorical errors and they also have logical errors. Hence, that's why Paul is correcting them. Please don't go and tell somebody, Pastor Richie said the Bible has errors. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these faulty cultural slogans that the Apostle Paul is quoting for the purpose of correcting the Corinthians has flaws in them. There's a big difference. Okay, so is everybody following me so far? All right, now let's look at these particular... Uh, 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 oh, by the way, let me go back to this unqualified categorical thing. You know what that means? Here's what it means. An unqualified categorical statement means that somebody makes a broad, sweeping generalization without giving the qualifications to it. Now notice in this statement in verse number 12, Paul uses the word all. Or, or, or the Corinthians used the word all in this slogan. All things are lawful for me. That's a categorical statement. It means it applies to everything and to everybody. But can I ask you a question? Does that statement apply to everything and everybody? It does not. And you knew that when you read it. So we automatically know there's a red flag going up, going up in our minds. Something's wrong with this statement, right? That is an unqualified categorical statement. Anytime the word all is used or the word none is used, grammatically in sound rhetoric and logic, those are indefinite pronouns that must be identified or qualified by their antecedent. And here it is not. And we are bad for interpreting the alls in the Bible that way. And just as we can't say it, we can't interpret them that way. If we do, we're going to end up with a faulty understanding. I mean, there's a lot of exemptions to this, right? I, I, I really like the NIV's interpretation. Rather than lawful, it says permissible. All things are permissible for me. Or all things are, are allowable for me. Now you understand that that's not true. Because, for instance, murder. Is murder permissible for you? Absolutely not. So we know there's a problem with this statement because all is unqualified. So you're, you're seeing more and more that this idea of these slogans is the key to interpreting this passage, are you not? And when we understand that they were just popular Corinthian slogans that come from culture, they're not the eternal truth which, which the Bible purports, then this passage begins to make sense to us. 
And Paul, like a wise teacher or preacher, is correcting the faulty belief system of the people in a church that he planted. So here he is correcting these statements. So now let's look at it. Now you see why I say if we're going to conquer cultural Christianity, we've got to avoid the world's subtle tricks. Because you see how close these, these slogans are to, to being biblical truth? They're very close. And you see, that's what the world wants to do. The world wants to take a little bit of God's Word and then it wants to sprinkle it with a little bit of heresy or falsehood and sell it to you. And if you buy it, you just took the bait. And I can't tell you how many times that happens to good, well-meaning followers of Christ who do not know their Bible. And Paul points that out because look at this phrase he uses two times in this, three times in this passage. Verse 15, do you not know? Verse 16, do you not know? Verse 19, do you not know? Biblical illiteracy will end you up in a ditch. We don't start learning the Bible when things get bad. We learn the Bible all the time, every day of our life. We're students of the Word. Because what you don't know, hear me. Here's another popular cultural saying, right? What you don't know, the, the world says. The Bible, the Bible says what you don't know will hurt you. See the difference? And that's what Paul is correcting here. So let's look at some of, these, some of these cultural slogans that Paul is trying to correct. And we said, number one, if we're going to conquer cultural Christianity, we must avoid the world's subtle tricks. And here's why they're so subtle, uh, so subtle and why we must avoid them. Because they are based on dangerous assumptions. Dangerous assumptions. Hey, here's another cultural slogan for you. Never assume. Because when you assume... Don't say it. <laughs> but by golly, every one of you just thought it, didn't you? <laughs> All right, here we go. They're based on dangerous assumptions. Now look at verse number 12. Why would the Corinthians have this as a part of, of, of their belief system that comes from their culture? Paul says, all things are permissible for me. Or he quotes their slogan. The Corinthians were saying that. One of their cultural slogans, all things are permissible for me. Now, you know why they had that and why they embraced that? Because it has overtones of hedonism. That I can do whatever I want to. I can do whatever pleases me because everything is permissible for me. Since I'm in Christ, I can do whatever I want to. Here's the dangerous assumption. God wants me to be happy. Boy, is that not popular culture today? I can't tell you how many people I have counseled who are going to do something that is not biblical, clearly not biblical, and they do it on the basis of God wants me to be happy. And friend, that is a dangerous assumption that comes from cultural Christianity, not biblical Christianity. Matter of fact, God's primary concern in your life is not your happiness. Did you know that? His primary concern is your holiness. That's exactly right. And here's the deal. Until we find our happiness in His holiness, we will never be the people He wants us to be. And I'm telling you, the, the, the sentiment today is that if you follow God, He's going he's gonna to kill all of your joy. He's going to make you miserable. You're never going to be able to laugh. And there are some brands of Christianity. I've been to some churches that believe that. Dear God, you walk in there and it's like a funeral service. And you're afraid if you laugh or smile, you're going to be excommunicated or something. I'm here to tell you that when you're born again, God gives you a joy that nobody can take away. And it's surpassed by anything that you can gain through the temporary pleasures of sin. It just is. So the dangerous assumption, number one is that God wants me to be happy. Now look at verse number 13. Here's what Paul quotes from their cultural slogan. 
Food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Here's, here's the underlying assumption. God made me this way. Because here's, here's their flawed logic. Notice, food is for the stomach. God gave me that appetite. God gave me a natural appetite to eat. If you don't believe that, in about uh, 21 minutes, your stomach's going to let you know it's dinner time. Huh? You have an appetite for that. Now, their faulty logic is this. If God gave me an appetite for food, He also gave me my sexual appetite. And just as I am to satisfy my food craving, I'm also to satisfy my sexual craving. That's what this slogan is all about. And that's why these sexually immoral folk in the Corinthian church, that's how they were justifying what it is that they were doing. So they were saying, God gave me both of these appetites and He wouldn't have given me these appetites if He don't want me to satisfy them. Now, do you see the problem with that? My goodness gracious. But that's the faulty, the, the, the faulty part of what they're saying. That's why Paul is identifying these cultural slogans and offering correctives to him to them. So notice the corrective that Paul makes. Let me give you the corrective to both of these in, in one setting. Notice in verse number 12, after this one he gives a corrective. All things are lawful for me. Now here's what Paul says to that. But not all things are profitable. So Paul qualifies that unqualified slogan with what he adds to it. But not all things are profitable. Here's, here, here's, here's the corrective number one. Not all things add value to life. You see the word profitable? You know what it means. <laughs> it means that you are gaining. You are gaining value because of this activity. And can I be honest? I think we too many times are just like the Corinthians. When we evaluate some behavior, it's not based on the evaluation of is this going to add value to me, to my church family? Or is it going to be deleterious and take away value from my life and from the testimony and credibility of my church? So it's not whether we don't evaluate by how much value something adds. Here's how we evaluate it. Here's what culture has done to us. When it don't do any harm, that's never the criteria by which believers evaluate a belief or a behavior. Because there's a lot of things that you can waste your time on that are not good. But believer, we're not called to waste time. We're called to add value to not only our lives, but to our community, to our church, to our world. We're to be salt and light. So please, in Jesus' name, don't say, well, what harm does it does it do? The question is, what value does it add? Does it make you a better person or not? And if it doesn't, hey, mark it off, you day planner. Isn't that right? So notice the first corrective. Paul says, not all things add value. So he's correcting their faulty slogan. Now look in verse number 13. He corrects this one. Food is for the stomach, his stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. His, his, here is his, and look, uh, here is his, his correction to that. In verse number 12, oh, excuse me, this is still dealing with verse, verse number 12, that slogan. I was wondering, I got ahead of myself. Look what he says, the second, he quotes that, that cultural slogan twice, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So the first corrective he offers to it is this, or the first reason that he gives for the corrective is that not all things add value to life. The second reason he gives is because some things threaten. Make that word threatened, not threaded. Threatened. Put an E-N in there. Threatened. Some things threaten our victory in the Lord. Hey, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. But you go ahead and start dabbling with some things and it'll make you a slave. Huh? And look what Paul says. I will not be mastered 
by anything. Paul is saying, I'm not going to open the door to anything in my life that can have control over me. You know what he's talking about? He's really talking about addictions here, is he not? Man, I, I'm scared of anything that can, that, can, that can take away my freedom. I'm scared of anything that has the potential of putting me in bondage to it. So Paul's reason for shooting down this slogan like it's a low-flying dove over a bird field, Jerry, is because he says not all things add value to life and some things threaten our victory in the Lord. Can I say to you, he's already won the battle. When you were born again, you entered into his victory. Are you free? Are you victorious? Thank God. Don't dabble with stuff that can take that victory away from you and master you and become your slave. I don't ever want to get to the point where I can't say no to everything in my life, huh? No, by golly, I'm not doing it. Because that's victory. And sometimes, by golly, it's not bad stuff. Sometimes it's just sorriness. Huh? Can I preach here for a little while? Sometimes it's not that we're addicted to drugs. Sometimes it's not that we're hooked on, on alcohol or pornography or anything like that. Sometimes we're just slaves to our own flesh. Sometimes we're just lazy. And we let the flesh win out. Huh? Hey, we got enough folk at Grace Church that ought not be an empty chair here today, right? But there's some folk got up this morning and they lost the battle. They are not victorious. They lost the battle. Does God want us to meet together and worship as a community of faith on a regular basis? Claro. I mean, excuse me, that's clear. clear. Clearly He does. The Word says that. So why are, not, why are we not all here? Hey, we were not all providentially hindered. Some folk lost the battle. That's all there is to it. There are some things that will enslave you. And I'm just pointing out that it doesn't have to be a, a, a substance abuse problem. It can just be a habit. By golly, that has mastered you and you can't say no to it. You ain't free enough in Christ to stand up to your flesh and say, yeah, I'd like to sleep another two or three hours, but what adds value to my life is following the Lord Jesus Christ and being with His people on Sunday morning. Therefore, I will not be enslaved to my desires. Amen. Notice number next. We know that these are dangerous, they're faulty cultural slogans, and we must avoid them, number one, because it's based on dangerous assumptions. Number two, because it uses distorted logic. Now, here's where I want to get to verse number 13. And, and these logical errors, the Apostle Paul, trust me, he would have never made them. That's why we know that he's quoting somebody else who's not nearly as smart as he is, right? And he's challenging people who are following somebody who is not as smart as he is. Hey, I don't care what kind of degrees a guy has behind his name. If he's asking you to do something that contradicts this right here, he's an idiot. That's all there is to it. Now check it out. And look, I'm no, I'm no enemy of education, you know. I mean, I've been to graduation services this week, and it's, my goodness, it has, it has reinvigorated the academia in me. I'm wanting to go back and get another doctorate. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I do until I think about it. Woo! Dear God, one of my professors says, I wouldn't take anything for my doctorate. I wouldn't take a million dollars for my doctorate. But he said, I wouldn't do it again for a million dollars either. And that's by golly where I am. No, sir. Enough of that. Here, here we go. Check out how, how it distorts good logic. Verse number 13. Here was their logic. Food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Now what they were wanting to do was justify their immorality. That's why Paul ties immorality to it in the end of verse number 13. So here's what they were doing. They were saying, look, God, this body is going to dissolve and be eaten by the worms one day anyway, so what difference does it make? It's insignificant what I do with my body. That's their distorted logic. Can I say to you that sin 
clouds your thinking. You won't make good decisions if you are already... You don't have to be in sin. You can just be thinking about doing it. Doing it. And your thinking is already distorted. Your mind is clouded. And thank God that you might have a good friend in Christ who will say, what the heck are you doing? What are you thinking that might can snap you out of it? If not, you're going to fall headlong down this path with this distorted logic. So notice what it is that Paul does as he walks through. He's still giving reasons why he's shooting down these faulty cultural slogans. Number one, based on dangerous assumptions. Number two, it uses distorted logic. Number three, it denies God's ultimate purpose for the body. I mean, look what he says in verses uh, uh, 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. He starts this in verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will raise us up through His power as well. Here's why it denies God's ultimate purpose. Do you know God has a purpose and intentions for your body? He does. And it's liable to die, disintegrate, lay in a grave for 2,000 years. But I'm telling you, God still has a purpose for it. And he talks about the purpose right here. You know know what the purpose for his body is? Two things I didn't have room on here. Number one, your body is the instrument, the instrument through whom God serves his people. Check this out. Look what he says in verse number 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That word members talks about individual pieces. Like my finger is a member of my body. Well, guess what? We are the hands and feet through whom Christ uses, God uses as His instrument to serve other folk. That's why your body's important. And it doesn't have two purposes. Now notice the other purpose is in verse 14. Not only is it the instrument through whom God serves His people, but it's the place where God will ultimately demonstrate His power. His power is going to be demonstrated in my mortal body One day, look what he says in verse 14. God's not only raised up the Lord, but He will also raise us up through what? Through His power. Man, the greatest demonstration of God's power outside what happened on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago is going to be in the graveyards around this planet one day when that eastern sky erupts and Michael blows the horn and the dead in Christ shall hear His voice and rise unto His glory. I'm telling you what a demonstration of power. Huh? Man, I'd like to be standing in a graveyard that day, wouldn't you? I don't know if I would or not. It'd scare my mules what it'd do. (laughs) But can you just imagine hearing a deafening sound of a trumpet and the next thing you know is glorified bodies start coming up out of the ground and tombstones are being tumped over and gravel is going every which direction and those stinking flowers that smell like a funeral home are going to be flying through the air. My goodness. So Paul says, no, your logic's wrong. The body does matter. And he shoots it down. i got to hurry or we're not going to get there, guys. We avoid the world's subtle tricks because they're based on dangerous assumptions. Uses distorted logic. Denies God's ultimate purpose and it leads to self-defeat. Now look, I have another point for verses 16 and 17. But I knew I was going to be running short on time. And it has to do with the prostitute. He's not talking about just your average run-of-the-mill prostitute. He's talking about a temple prostitute. It's going to come to play again in 1 Corinthians a little later when he talks about shaved heads, about why women ought not shave their heads. Because the temple prostitutes, there in Corinth, that's what they do. They shave their heads. And for you to have an ecstatic experience, woo, wait a minute. Yes, I said it. An ecstatic experience with whatever God they're representing you had to have sexual relations with one of those shaven head prostitutes. And that's what some of the Corinthians were doing. And Paul was horrified. And he was saying, what in the world are y'all doing? What, why are you joining yourself to a prostitute? Because here, here was his reason. Here, here's, you may want to write down. Because it connects us to the side of darkness. It connects us to the side of darkness. Because those temple prostitutes, they represented 
demonic, evil realities. It wasn't just about the sexual experience. It was about what motivated them. They were temple prostitutes. That, that's how it functioned down there. If you wanted to have a spiritual experience, then you had to go visit the temple prostitutes. And Paul says, you know, here's the thing. When you're connected with Christ, you're associated with the kingdom of light. Why in the world would somebody who is associated, affiliated with the kingdom of light want to connect himself to, dark, to the dark side? The dark side. John says, for what fellowship does light have with darkness? So there's 16 and 17. I have to give it to you real quick. Now look at verse number 18. Flee immorality. Here's the other cultural saying. That are, you know, he finishes that up with giving that, that command, that imperative. This is not a choice. He says, flee from it. And the word picture there is somebody running down a gravel road as fast as they can. Have you ever ran so fast from something that you got ahead of what your ability was doing and your feet got tangled up and you ate the dirt? You ever done that? So wait a minute, feet. Slow down a little bit. I, I, y'all can't move that fast. That's what Paul is saying y'all to do to immorality. Get the heck out of there. Now check out as he talks about this defeat. Every other sin, here's the slogan, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Now, I don't have time to unpack all that. Let me just take a very surface swipe at it. If you sin it against your own body, that's self-destruction. That self-defeat. And you can see that these, this statement here is a cultural slogan as well because not every other sin... You see, here's the other side of all. When it says not every. Or, or, or every other. Every other sin that a man commits is outside. No, it's not. There's a lot of sins that you commit that are destroying your physical... I started to say corporal. I don't know why I'm going between Portuguese and English today between your physical body. Yeah, that's what you call it. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's self-destructive, is it not? So here's a question that Paul asks these believers. Why in the world would y'all want to kill yourself? Why would you want to slowly live in self-defeat and self-destruction when Christ has set you free from all that? It's not about it doesn't do any harm. It's about how much value is it adding to your life? So i got to run and get to point number two because those ladies are looking at me hard through that window back there. If we're going to conquer cultural Christianity, number one, we've got to avoid the world's subtle tricks. Do you see those subtle tricks in this passage now? Hey, does this passage make more sense to you now? See, that's, that's the interpretive keys. That's the piece of information the Corinthians had that we don't have. But through good grammatical scholarship and through looking at logic and, and categorical imperatives and all of those things, we can deduce all of this stuff. Hey, here's what I love about being an expository preacher and about being a biblical exegete. It's almost like a murder mystery every time. You've got to put the pieces together. And there's a whole lot of things that help us keep the pieces together so that the picture is the picture that God wanted us to have and not a distorted picture. That's why I love studying the Bible. Check it out, number next. Not only must we avoid the world's subtle tricks, but we must apply scriptural truth. Now let me give you some good scriptural truth that will help you defeat cultural Christianity. He gives them to us here in verses 19 through 20. Number one, Paul says, Know this, you are possessed by the Spirit of God. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? See that word temple? It's the word that is used for the Holy of Holies. You know that the temple had two courts. It had the outer court, and then it had that inner sanctum, which is the Holy of Holies, where God met with the high priest once a year. And that's what your body is. Your body is the meeting place between you and God. This is the unique element of New Testament Christianity. It isn't a part of any other world religion that our God actually comes to live in us and be with us forever. Do you know that you're possessed by the Spirit of God? Man, if you can't tell that you are, there's a problem. Because it's pretty, pretty hard to have an eternal God within you and you not know it. If there's no influence, no indication that He's there, there's a problem. 
Number next, I want to show you something he says about this, this God. I just got to point this out. You know this is what my doctoral thesis was on. It was on pneumatology or, or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So every time I see it, I just drawn to it like a moth to a candle. Look what he says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit? Look, 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 underline this, underline this, this, uh, this pronoun. It's who. Who. What does that use of who tell us? It tells us that the Spirit of God who indwells us is a person. He is a person with full personhood. He is not an it. He is not an impersonal force. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. And He's a person. And as a person, He has all the attributes of a person. Man, we could unpack that for the next two weeks, couldn't we? Check out number next. Not only is He a person, but He's also a present. He is a gift from God to us. And I just had to add that. This is Christmas time. Who is in you, whom you have from God. The Holy Spirit of God, who is God, is a person, is a present that God has given you. And you know what? We're not to grieve Him. We're not to quench Him. We're not to displease Him. And here's what I've noticed about presence. What you do with the present is usually indicative of how much you respect the person who gave you the present. Am I right? I mean, I've got some stuff that I'll never use, but I'll cherish it forever because of the person who gave it to me. So what are we saying about God when we take the Holy Spirit who is within us and we drag Him through our cultural Christianity type of distorted logic that always leads us into sin? My goodness. i got to go. i got to hurry. i got a couple minutes left. You are possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. Number next, you are purchased with the blood of Christ. Look at verse number 20. Here's some, here, man, you, you, can call, you can conquer cultural Christianity with these three truths. You're possessed by the Spirit of God. You're purchased by the Son of God. Look what he says in verse number 20. You have been bought with a price. Oh, wait a minute. Check out verse number 19. Boy, he's striking at some cultural things here, isn't he? He says, you're not your own. Hey, I got news for you. You are not your own boss anymore. He is. So that means, by golly, we can't do willy-nilly whatever we please. We do what pleases Him. Paul says you are not your own boss. You are bought with a price. You are not your own, period. Because you have been bought with a price. And I I had uh, uh, Alyssa read that passage this morning because the price is the blood of Christ according to Acts chapter number 20. It's the blood of Christ. You know, I notice things about me as a shopper. Number one, I don't like to do it. Huh? I mean, we go into a store and I shop like a man. Heather shops like a woman and those two will never meet. When I go into a store, I know exactly the one item that I drove there to get. I go and get it. I don't even have to carry a cart because I can carry it. So I'm not going to be encumbered by a shopping cart. I'm going to carry it up there, and I'm going to put it on that checkout register. That girl's going to scan it, and I'm going to hand her the do-re-me, and I'm out of there. Huh? Men, is that your motif? Is that the way you shop? Let me see you. Let me see you. Now, ladies, is that the way y'all shop? That is not the way y'all shop. Let me tell you something else about the way I shop. Sometimes I'll drive to a store because there's something I've been thinking I've been wanting. I'll go and get it and get it all the way up to the register. And while I'm sitting there, because there's a woman in front of me who bought half of the store out, she's got a buggy with 80 things in it, and the the, the line clearly says 10 items or less. (laughs) And while I'm waiting for her to ring up those 80 things... In the 10-item ten, ten aisle, you know what I think? No, I think, you know what? I like this do-re-me in my pocket more than I like that thing. <laughs> so I think I'm not going to trade my cash for that item. So a lot of times that lady that's in the wrong aisle just saves me from making a bad purchase. <laughs> that's right, Jerry. <laughs> I talk myself out of it so many times. I'm the world's worst with buyer's remorse, huh? Don't know why, but I just am. But here's the reality. 
before the foundation of the world, a holy God put you in His shopping cart. He chose you for no reason at all other than He wanted you. It wasn't because you were pretty, you were smart, you were, you were, you were good. It was none of that stuff. It was out of His will. He put you in His cart and He took you up to the checkout stand on a hill called Calvary. And God the Son said, Father, yeah, they're worth my blood. And He didn't back out. He died on Calvary's cross to buy you. He purchased you. And can I say this? He has no buyer's remorse. There is no exchange for full refund. He's never going to take you back and drop you off where He found you. He bought you forever. And you belong to Him. Thank the good God of heaven. Number next, and I'm done. You apply these scriptural truths. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. You've been purchased by the blood of the Son of God. And you have a purpose, therefore, for God. Look what Paul... Here's the imperative that he closes this section with. You've been bought with a price, therefore. Here it is. It's not an option. It's a command. Glorify God in your body. That's the command. So many people today are looking for their purpose. Well, I just don't know why God... Let me clear it all up for you. Here's your purpose in life. (laughs) Glorify God with your body. Man, that old creed, what's it say? What's it say, Colin? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. Hey, guys, listen here. Y'all know at Grace Church, we try and do something that's not cultural. We're trying to break from the crowd. And we're trying to do something that's significant and biblical. And here's how you do it. Know that you're possessed by the Spirit of God. You've been purchased with the blood of the Son of God. Therefore, you have a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God in your body. Hey, let's back up and take a good swing. Amen? Stand with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is as relevant as if you wrote it to Grace Church yesterday. God, would you help us to live it? I pray for those who are there here today that Maybe they've never been possessed by the Spirit of God because that transaction has never become a reality in their life where God has purchased them with with the blood of His Son. I pray today be the day of faith and repentance and where the Spirit of God impresses upon those folk that this is our reality. So I pray that there's going to be folk coming today by faith saying... I want to repent and place my faith in the price that Christ paid for me on Calvary's cross that fully purchased me. I pray for those who are here today that don't have a church home and they need one. They need a family around them so that they can fulfill God's ultimate purpose of glorifying Him in their body. I pray today is the day you call them to yourself. Whatever it is that you've said today, God, could we just be obedient to you because it's not about us, it's about you. You're worthy of every ounce of glory that you can wring out of these old bodies. So I pray in Jesus' name today you be glorified by the faith response of those to whom you're speaking today at Grace Church. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, Colin Dollar's up here on the front. Dane Caldwell's up here on the front. God's spoken to you and there's a decision that you need to make. One of these men love to pray with you. They'll show you what the Bible says about the very thing you're facing. But in Jesus' name, you just be obedient to Him.